But we are called to share and glorify God. And once I read that our success in life is largely dependent on how many uncomfortable conversations we are willing to have. And maybe to fulfill our walk with Jesus, we're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations. The world as a whole had not been kind to my life. I was left broken, shattered, and very much alone. Then I had a dream. A man and a child holding hands in a meadow of flowers, watching the sun go down. And it wasn't until I actually wrote this I understood the meaning of the sun going down, out with the old and in with the new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Second Corinthians 5.17 I'd not had anything to do with God apart from passionately rejecting anyone who had anything to do with Jesus. But for some reason, the thought that God had sent me the dream just wouldn't go away. So I challenged him. I said, God, if that was you, do this. And he did without delay. I pondered my thoughts all day. I was at rock bottom. I had nothing to lose. So I was like, okay, I can seek the light. That's easy. The immediate response was, don't seek the light. Be the light. Things changed in my life after that. I couldn't drink and all the movies and the books and the music I listened to and enjoyed, I no longer could, and some of them I couldn't even hold on to. The fear, but my fear of people and their reactions sent me into hiding with my new faith. I brought a Bible online and started reading. The most profound thing I remember is how warm and welcoming the Bible made me feel, and even holding on to it would calm my heart. I spent hours on Uncle Google trying to learn more. I reloaded worship songs on my phone and I listened to them sometimes all night. My ears got really sore from having headphones on all the time. <laughs> I needed more, so I signed up for an American online Bible study. I tried going to church, but looking at the people going through the door left me in my car a mess and crying. I thought I would fail God and it would be easy if I just didn't try. But he stayed in my life and he drew me back. Again, I ran when the lady from the Bible study said, you can't meet God in a dream. It's not possible. You have to have the word of God shared or read a Bible. Once again, he drew me back. <laughs> then she had an issue with the fact I wasn't baptised. I ran. I lost. Back to God. <laughs> she made it her mission to find... Hang on the right kind of church, the right beliefs, so I could be baptised. And she made it so hard and so difficult. I just let her go and finished my Bible study. Months later, she contacted me and said, I found someone in Nelson, but he actually lived in Auckland. But randomly, he knew someone in Blenheim. Enter our wonderful Sarah Bone. We made contact. And I went and visited her, and it felt so, she was so kind and nice, and it felt right. Randomly, this lined up with the first two Sundays I had off since I'd met God. She asked me to come with church with her, and here I still am. And even as I was trying to convince Jesus that sharing my story was a bad idea, he powerfully assured me that this is home where I belong. And I'm free to love and be loved. The lady was not happy with the choice of church. 
She got, she got quite shitty, and in the end, I, t- <laughs> yes. I told her to trust God. He'd put me here, and he was in control. Ironically, I haven't heard from her since. <laughs> After being baptized, my path with Jesus changed. I was shown things from my life, step by step, and visions. And I had to work through the pain that I had carried for so long. And I would like to say that it was really easy, but it wasn't. And some of those trials of accepting what my past life had done and how it formed me into someone I was not meant to be were very, very dark. But I can see now that God was always in control. As many times as I've tried, I cannot live without Jesus in my life. He really is a rock on which I can stand. I'm humbled and I'm honoured for everything he has done for my life and in total awe of his love for mankind. He could just wipe us out like a Noah. I mean, who would blame him? But yet he chooses to love us, heal us and bless us in the hope that we open our eyes and our hearts to the true joy and the presence of his love. I'm proud to stand and say I belong to God's family. An extraordinary family because when the going get tough and the others give up, we dig in and rely on God. And he gives us the strength to go the extra mile for his glory. And I believe he'd like me to share James 1, 12 to 13. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised him. Come on. Actually... I mean, and I mean, I want to share a couple of miracle stories that go with this. I was away in March when Angelica first joined the church, and, and when I came in, the only thing that I could think was, who's that really broken woman in the third row? And then the second week she came, I was like, Man, she looks lighter. And I said to her, every time I see you, you look lighter. Here's the crazy thing. After she's finished reading, she's about to go and be a teacher in our Sunday school. How long have you been a Christian? 18 months. 18 months. Come on. Isn't God good? Bless you. You can go. Bless you. You could do that again easily. That was, you were a natural at that, just by the way. That's, that's, wow. Isn't that cool? Things that are happening in your little old church in Blenheim that you know, no one knows about. Annabelle, where are you? Come on, put your hands together for Annabelle. You need to hold that. Nice and high so they can hear you. Like you want to lick the ice cream. What in a... All right, I'll find those questions I sent to you. Yeah. Ask for some prompts, so... Uh, Annabelle, how, how long have you been here now? About the uh, I've been here a couple months, three months, wow. two, three months. Brilliant. And can yeah. you tell us a little bit of what your life was like before you moved to the South Island? Um, well, I came here nine months ago, and before that I was homeless. I was a, a meth addict, and um, I had no relationship with my family. My father had passed away, and I was still recovering from a near-fatal car crash, so it was pretty... Pretty rugged, yeah. Going from gang paired to gang paired, and but 
I came here to get clean and to change my life. And with the help of my cousins, my family at the back there, their love and support, come on. Um, they brought me here. <laughs> they brought me here. Well, I asked to come here because I just there's something weird about that family. <laughs> They're happy all the time. They're happy all the time, and you know. So, yeah. Wow. So, no, that was. So you came into Blenheim Baptist Church about three months ago. Yeah. They come with you. What happened your first time here? Um, it's like Jesus come and turned the light on and woke me up from my big nightmare. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was pretty strange. So you were sitting in the back row. Yeah, and we I could a... feel the floor vibrating. I had the the guy was speaking. He was doing giving a prophetic word, and he was talking about me. And I was like, I didn't even I don't remember what he said because I was too busy looking around. Going, <laughs> my first day. <laughs> he yeah, pointed you out. Yes, and um, the, I could feel the floor vibrating. It was like the room was vibrating. I was like. I'm not on any drugs, I'm straight as. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going, can you feel that? And I'm like, nah. And I was like, I can feel the, and he said, the, if you can feel the floor vibrating, it's the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I told you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So what happened after that? Um, my life has been changed dramatically. Um, I have a relationship with my family. My, my family life has been restored with my mother. She tells me she love she loves me, which is never happens. Wow! <laughs> so that's um, I've been so blessed. I've been blessed with a home. Come on. Um, yeah. I, Shannon asked me if I'd share. How do I do with crowds? As you can see, not very well. <laughs> Smashing it. <laughs> but yeah, I said nah, nah. And um, the day I got accepted for my home, which I've been, which thank you for everyone who's been praying for me. Um, I got my home, and I went back home to start packing and getting all excited and Shannon texts me, I know you said no, but would you share? And I sat there and I thought, you timed that real well, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, things, I still struggle every day with my addiction and with my, with my past, um, but it's getting better all the time. Wow. And, yeah. Come on. Amen. And what happens in December? What happens in December? In December, oh, my um, oldest girl is coming down. And I get my oldest, my 12-year-old daughter's coming back home. She's coming to live with me. Come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah. And we're gonna live happily ever after. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Come on, bless you. Got her. God restores the years that the locusts have eaten away. Eh? I, I had that verse, and I forget where it is. I'm not good with chapter and verse, but I just felt strongly to declare it over Annabelle when we were sitting in a house the other, a couple of weeks ago talking, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And it talks about how he will bring your children home to you. And, and what a blessing to go, wow, my daughter's coming home in December. I have a house. You know, it's just so good. So good, so good, so good. Let's keep, can we keep going? Yeah. It, gets, it just keeps going and going and going. Kieran, Kieran, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Put your hands together for Kieran as she comes. I think I'm doing these in the right order. <laughs> no, you two were supposed to be around the other way. That's all good. It's all good. <laughs> 
brought my own tissues. <laughs> Do you want me to hold this? Or you want to hold this? Um, I have a go holding it. Right. My, my hands are shaking like a leaf. Um, so the reason I'm sharing is because um, over the last month, God has shown me in the lovely way that God shows you stuff that <laughs> is wrong with you, that um, that I've got quite a pride issue about everything really. Just, yeah, so he's working with me through the um, pride issue. So I'm here talking about this big horrible thing, um, partly because of the verse that's it's in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And with just kind of learning about what pride means, I'd always thought it meant, you know, arrogance, like you do something amazing and, and get all the glory and, and that makes you a prideful person. But um, it's actually, in a way, it's self-awareness. So if you're if you're more aware of yourself and how you appear than what you're doing, then that's pride. So it can mean that you do something amazing and see it as a reflection of you, or it can stop you doing something amazing because you're worried that it's not going to be good enough because it mm. is going to be a reflection on you. So it can be... <laughs> um, just as much of a like self-conscious issue as as much as an arrogance issue. Anyway, so the pure in heart, for they will see God. So if your motives are pure and you get rid of the pride, then what you do is a reflection of God and you'll see God in it and other people will see God in it. Um, so my story is not a pretty one. But I've written it down because otherwise it just won't come out properly. So I've wanted to share it for a few months now. But, and I think that's why God pointed out this pride thing, because that's what was stopping me. So every year since I was about 15, um, I've hated spring. So it being spring right now, is probably quite a significant thing. Um, so the first warm days, looking at the weather report, and if there was going to be a warm day, it would just be this reminder that, you know, sometime soon it's going to be summer and, you know, I'm going to have to wear togs on the beach and, and just all of that kind of pressure. So the pressure... Um, to get in shape for summer um, was overwhelming from about age 14, 15. So there are a few different influences in my life that contributed to this, but in the whole, I think it's a pretty common feeling amongst women. It's definitely not something unique to me at all. So aside from trying all kinds of different diets and exercise, boot camps, and all those kinds of things. Um, it led to some pretty horrible and self-destructive habits. And these habits 
came and went over the years, but um, yeah, they always disappeared while I was pregnant, so that might be why I had four kids, because it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were always there. They always came back with a vengeance pretty soon afterwards. Um, so I hated myself for being so out of control and saw this as, yeah, this just disgusting, embarrassing lack of self-control. Um, never really spoke to anybody about it because it was just choices I was making. And when it's a choice and it's all just, you know, I'm making this horrible choice again and again and again, then it's, you know, I didn't see it as kind of something I could even ask for help for because it's a choice. Um, so it's just a big area of, yeah, just shame and hmm, horrible feeling. Uh, last spring, in late October, I decided to copy my younger sister's pre-operation diet of 690 calories a day. So I saw her sticking to it because medically she had to. So I just thought, I'm going to do that too. So I started losing weight and became quite obsessed about weight loss, which is very typical for spring, but this time, I don't know, it was just different, a lot more obsessive. Um, so I was following the keto protocol, which is basically no carbs, as well as intermittent fasting um, and calorie restricting. And it totally worked. And I lost around 9 kgs in about two months. Um, I was the skinniest I'd, I'd ever been and felt amazing. And I had no cravings. Um, it wasn't hard. I was just completely in control and thought this was a new lifestyle change and, and it was going to be amazing forever. Then in late December, it was like a switch just flicked in my brain and I lost all control. So the self-destructive behaviours that I thought of as bad habits and that had, had been in check for a while um, completely took over and I just became totally trapped in a daily cycle of just horrendous self-destruction um, and mentally it was just hate and panic attacks and anxiety and just every day. So my day would start while I was still in bed with an internal battle about whether or not to eat breakfast. Such a basic part of your day, but um, what food I could eat. Should it be carbs? Should it be yogurt? Should it be oats? Um, every single decision, just this kind of panic. So I'd just stand in the kitchen and just freak out and cry and just about breakfast. Um, and knowing that as soon as I ate anything for the, yeah, that, to start the day, that the wheels would fall off and I'd start 
the downwards mental cycle for that day again. So I kind of put off breakfast knowing that it was going to start this horrible thing. But at the same time, trying to tell myself that normal people eat breakfast. It's just breakfast. This is not a big deal. But, it, yeah. So it was a really scary place to be in. It was like my brain was trapped in a cage of thoughts and emotions and behaviours that I could not think myself out of. And, yeah, and I knew I was putting weight on again and I hated myself for it. And I would spend um, most nights so anxious about it that when I went to bed, I couldn't go to sleep until I had researched an 800-calorie diet plan or something. So I had some kind of action plan for the next day that was going to keep me on track and give me some kind of control again. But the next day was always the same. Just completely out of control. Nasty. So I spoke to my husband, Bruce, about it and um, sometime in January. And that was the first... Yeah, first time in 14 years of marriage that I'd ever spoken to him about it. Um, a huge pride issue. My younger sister and older sister both um, have suffered with mental illness over the years. And so we kind of joked when we got married about how Bruce was marrying the same sister. So, yeah, there was no way that I was going to have issues. Um, and then I went to a doctor and had a complete meltdown. Felt really, really stupid, but just sat in the doctor's office just bawling my eyes out. And she, she was awesome. She listened um, and referred me straight to the eating disorders team of um, the mental health unit. So, yeah, so a couple of weeks later I had a f my first meeting with a psychologist and, um, and the doctor that works for the mental health team. And they asked me how I felt about being there. And I said... I felt really embarrassed because I was just being dramatic and it wasn't bad enough. And I was just making stupid choices. So that fear of, I don't know, being too dramatic and needy and that kind of thing was quite a big deal. And I said I was terrified that they were going to make me eat more and put on weight as well. Um, so we had a long and horrible conversation. I had to be honest about stuff that I'd never been honest about before. And at the end of it, they said that 
usually they'd go back and have a chat with their team and, and bring me back in for another appointment. But, but they were going to skip that step and just admit me straight into the system, I guess. So, yeah, so since then I've been seeing a psychologist every week um, about eating disorders, which is something that was both a huge positive and a huge negative. Um, so the positive was discovering that my horrible, disgusting, out-of-control weakness and habits um, was actually a disorder and even called a, a disease. So that was quite a freeing thing. So I could kind of give up the, the responsibility for it in a way. Um, but the huge negative was that I had to stop kind of downplaying it and putting it to the side and try and ignore it, and I had to focus on it. Um, I had to focus on it every day, so I had to write a food diary and write down everything I ate and how much and how it made me feel and all the thoughts and emotions around it, and that was horrendous, especially with the pride thing, because knowing that this probably a mid-twenties, super incredibly skinny, stylish psychologist, was reading my food diary. <laughs> was it just horrible? Um, yeah. So, so things started to kind of improve in a behaviour um, behavior perspective just because of that accountability. So it meant that sometimes I would make the, make a choice um, that was a positive choice, but it was completely based on the fact that she was going to read it. So nothing internally had changed at all, and it just went on week after week, month after month. Um, and I remember asking her if eating issues, as, as, if it's something that can be fixed or whether it's like if you're an alcoholic and, and you spend the rest of your life still saying I'm an alcoholic but I've been sober for how long. You know, I just, I want to know if this is going to go away. And, and she said that there can be positive outcomes. Um, she wasn't overly optimistic. It was, it was all about if you can get into a habit of um, being aware of your thoughts and, and that whole kind of, uh, I can't remember the term she calls it, but when you think, you know, you're aware of a thought and you break down the emotion that's attached to it and, and basically have a bit of a, um, bit of kind of a jury, like court session in your mind about, whether it's true and you kind of have to battle out every negative thought, which if you've got a whole day's worth of it, it's just exhausting. But that was kind of the, the outcome I was looking at, was just thought training mm. um, and a constant 
process of dealing with um, horrible thinking. So it went on, yeah, it went on for months. Um, and then in June, or whenever it was, we had the night service. Was that June? Yeah, about, the, about June. Worship Evening worship service. And I came along and I just felt completely, completely desperate. Because I'd been, yeah, seeing a psychologist for six months. And I didn't feel like mentally I was getting anywhere. And partly the pride thing, partly because I'm incredibly cynical sometimes about different aspects of churches just because of big hyped up youth conferences and things that potentially had a negative <laughs> impact on me. Um, I'm not the kind of person who will come up for prayer. Um, yeah, I just never would, but that evening service, Pam felt... Thank you, Pam. Oh, <laughs> um, Pam felt called to ask Shannon if we could do a fire tunnel at the front, which is when there are two rows of people praying and you walk through. And so they did that, and I sat in the seat, and I was bawling my eyes out already at that stage. And I kind of just thought, I just have to... Um, yeah, basically get over yourself, Karen. <laughs> just go and actually get prayer. So, yeah, so I did. And I felt incredibly awkward because I hate it when people look at you and think, you why is she going up for this? is what I just assume that people think, why, why is she going up for prayer? What's going on? Um, but, yeah, so I walked through the first time. And I had to take a step backwards because that physical sensation of the Holy Spirit was wow. something that I'd, I'd never felt before. Wow. And in youth services, I was about 17 when I went up for prayer at a big youth conference, and I had someone praying and putting their hand on my forehead, and this person behind me waiting to catch me. But it was pressure to step back um, and this time you know people were standing at either side there was no one pushing me but yeah I felt like I just had to stable myself because I was gonna fall over anyway I went through and then I went through a second time so I just thought okay <laughs> something's happening went through a second time and and there was no opportunity for me to express, you know, like a pre-request or anything. It was just completely, um, completely random. Subjective. What? Yeah, what? <laughs> what people pray for either side? They have no idea what's going on. But a couple of people prayed for, like, release from bondage. So, like, chains would be broken. That kind of theme. I felt like something had happened. I don't know what had happened, and I try and put things in a box and figure out, and try and work out what's happened. So the next day, I thought, okay, I could have been healed, but probably not. <laughs> and and this is really embarrassing, but there was half a block of Whitaker's cream and milk chocolate in our pantry. 
So I kind of thought, well, God, if you've healed me, I shouldn't want to eat that. <laughs> um, and so I put him to the test, and I ate it, and I felt horribly sick, and did some stupid stuff, and afterwards thought, nah, I knew it. Knew I couldn't be healed. God loves me, I felt something. But no, that was too good to be true. So yeah, and that was, that was kind of disappointing. So that was on a Monday that I ate the chocolate. Then on the Thursday I'd finished breakfast, sitting in the dining room and it just suddenly hit me that I just had three days of not once thinking about food. Um, and I just had peanut butter and toast for breakfast and didn't want to kill myself. And, wow. Wow. and it was three days and I sat there going, like feeling like this, this kind of shaky. Um, like, oh my gosh, I haven't, like, where did that go? But I still thought, okay, I might just have had three good days. So I just pushed it to the side. And, um, and it was the following Tuesday. Sue was over for coffee in the afternoon. And we talked about some other stuff. And then, and then I said, I, I, I've just had something like, I've just had a, over a week of not thinking about food. You know, I, I wonder if something happened. But still, <laughs> too kind of scared to, to say it's gone. Just like, oh, I've had a week of... of yeah, no anxiety. Um, and then week after week after week, it was still gone and it was still gone and it was still gone and I still had this fear of it's going to come back. Um, you know, if I think about it too much, it's going to come back and I'll think it back into my brain. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think about it. It was like, like when Emma said putting her tongue into the hole in her tooth, it was like... It must be still there, and if I think about it, it's, it's going to come back. So I, I just tried to push it away, and it still didn't come back. And I thought, okay, if I get up to spring, and I can get through spring without it coming back, then it will have gone. And my psychologist kept saying, you know, oh, that's, it's really great that you seem to be making progress. Um, <laughs> People, you know, people do have these good times and it's quite common to have relapses and da da da. So even from the psych, I still had this feeling of it's going to come back. Right. And now we're almost at the end of October and it still hasn't come back. Come on. <laughs> Amen. So I did write down some takeaways just in case you completely don't get the um, eating disorder thing because it is bizarre. I don't understand it myself. Um, but I wanted to say if, if you're struggling with a problem, no matter how hidden it is or how much you think you're choosing it um, and, can choose it, and choosing the self-destructive things, whatever it is, it's a problem God can take away. Um, and God can free you from any kind of mental cage you feel you're in, even if you think that you're choosing to be in it. Um, and 
Second thing, tell somebody. Because I hardly told anybody. And I meant when, when I was set free from it, I couldn't celebrate with people. Because, wow. like, I'm still, wow. I'm still, I still feel like this shameful thing. Yeah, so it's hard to celebrate if you haven't actually told people how, how horrible the dark thing is. Um, and thirdly, pride will stop you having opportunities to see God in your life. If you're too proud to get prayer for something, then you won't see God move. Or if you're too proud to admit that it's actually an issue, then you're not giving it to God and letting him fix it. And it will stop others from seeing God in your life because if you don't talk about what he's done, then it's stopping other people from seeing God as well. So, there you go. Wow. Come on. Kieran, we are celebrating with you this morning. That is so awesome. And, uh, wow. God heals teeth. He takes away addiction. He brings your family back. He cures mental disorders. He cures disease. What is there anything our God can't do? You got, can we do one more? You, like, I mean, I could do this all day, but can we do one more? Yeah. Then we're going to do communion together. Virgil, Tenakwe. I love Virgil. Put your hands together for Virgil. F- fun story for you. Uh, Virgil's helping me with my te reo a little bit in preparation for, for our visit to Omakamarai, and she now texts me pretty much just fluently in te reo, and i got to work it out. <laughs> so uh, you ever get her cell phone number, be warned, it's, it's an education. <laughs> there you go. What in a family of God? Gosh, what a beautiful-looking crew you are. <laughs> so glad that I'm part of this family. Um, look, I, oh gosh, where do I begin? There's three different things that I'd like to share this morning and, and that God has been giving me, really enjoying the fast this week. And like Pastor Shannon, I broke my fast on Friday, you know, because we had watercress. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, but anyway, um, one of the very first ones I want to share about is that I had a mokopuna about a few weeks ago over in Wairarapa and um, she was quite sick. She went into Wellington Hospital in ICU with um, pneumonia something, anyway. I became quite devastated about it because um, she was quite a happy, joyful little baby. Uh, She hadn't reached the age of one yet. And I text slash rang Pastor Shannon with no avail, couldn't get him. And I arrived here at church on a Monday because I said to the Lord, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Where do I go? He said, come to church. Okay. It was a Monday. I said, okay. Came to church. The car park was like half full of cars. I walked in here and there was nobody to be found. And then I said, you okay? You got humour, Lord. That's funny. So uh, I went back to my car and I sat in there and I'm thinking, Father, and then I see Brother Bo through the, the, my side mirror of, of the car, and I jump out of the car, and he's carrying his dinner in his hand, and he's in the kitchen there, and I 
bounce on in and I go, look, I'm trying to get a hold of, of Pastor Shannon and my granddaughter's really sick and I need someone to pray. And so he stops what he's doing instantly. He starts praying just like that. And I'm like, yeah. And so we're there praying away. And then he gets a hold of um, Sue, beautiful Sue in the office. And before I know it, there's a prayer train going. And um, maybe four or five days later, I got a text from her grandmother to say that um, she's gotten worse. And they were, I can't remember the word, it's a crazy word, but basically the doctors were saying that she had contracted a virus that was attacking all her nervous system. So she wasn't able to move any part of her body. She had no reaction, no facial expression whatsoever. Um, and then I think... I can't remember what I even did, but I, I remember going into prayer and I remember meeting one of the beautiful ladies here, which you all are, by the way, um, and she asked me how the baby was and so she said to me, look, we're still going to be praying and she was obviously part of the prayer, prayer chain. And um, the following Sunday when I came, the mum of the baby, my niece, had texted me and said, oh my goodness, auntie, Please tell everybody that's been praying that she is well and she's, she's out of hospital and that not even the doctors couldn't believe that she had come through that. They actually thought that she was not going to make it. Wow. So what a great God we have, eh? Come on. Come on. What a great God we have. Um, so that was one, one, one of the stories I wanted to tell you about God's obvious amazing healing power. And, of course, the power of prayer through the family of God. So blessings up to all of you, yeah. Um, the other, as you know, I, I've been, been not well myself and that God had brought me down here to the South Island uh, for a job and also because I fell in love. Nice looking guy over there. I said I wouldn't. <laughs> yes, and his name is Elvis. Um, um, but anyway... Um, during that time, um, I was in hospital for three months and literally laid flat on my back. And um, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm that guy who does the get up and go and do this and do that and da-da-da-da-da. And so for me to be flat on my back was really hard. But um, I said, Lord, just send me something. And I didn't know anybody here because I just moved here and um, didn't know this lovely family of God that I have now. So I said, Father, please send somebody somebody who loves you and somebody who knows you. And I met this wonderful man called Chaplain Chris. Um, wonderful man. And um, he, he walked into my room. I was in, my, in a room of mine. He walked in and he said to me, um, I believe the Lord sent me just for you. And I go, no way, that's me. And I'm crying and carrying on. And... and um, before I knew it, we were, we were talking and, and he was praying for me. And, and one of the words he gave to me was, you know, the Lord expects us and wants us to give thanks to him in all circumstances. And you know what the hard case thing was? That I could do. It wasn't that I wanted healing, which I did, but I could do that one. I could not get past the fact that I could ask the Lord for healing because my attitude was not in the right place. But I could say, thank you, Lord, that I'm alive. Thank you, Lord that you've sent me a friend, and, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so in saying that, I, I, I am here now today, 
And what God has done is um, given me people who I've met that are not difficult, but they, they have been doing things their own way for a very, very, very long time. And I've been put into a position now where I have an authority, not only given by the people who have given me the job, but also by God. And it's amazing, you know, they, we had a meeting the other day and people were like, nye, 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 nye. and I sat there thinking, OMG, Lord, what is this? I, I felt like I was with teenagers. That's what it sounded like. Anyway, when I felt that they had finished doing what they were doing, I said, look, can I just say, at the end of the day, we're all here, not for each other, and not who came to the meeting, and not who didn't come to the meeting, not who said this and not who said that, but we want our young people to succeed. If you agree, then we'll just carry on, shall we? We'll move forward. And that was the end of that. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, eh, Father, because you anointed this place. You anointed this job. You anointed what's going to be happening in this place. So, again, what a great God we have, eh? What a great God. Look, um, just the last thing I wanted to talk about was prayer meeting we had on Thursday. Um, and I was very blessed to be able to go there. I was saying to Shannon before I arrived there because cause I'm meant to be working at, you know, at school. And, but uh, praise God, I'm my own boss. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I said, Father, I want to go to prayer meeting, please. <laughs> anyway, um, and that particular day, the school had a um, pet day. OMG, I'd, never, I'd forgotten what it was like to have one of them. There were sheep and goats and dogs and cats and all sorts of things going on. Um, and I said to the deputy principal, she said to me, you'd be here. And I go, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come down at lunchtime. Anyway. She texts me just after I had said, Father, please come go to prayer She texts me and said, look, Virgil, it's really, really busy here. You don't have to come. You do what you have to do. And I text her and went, thank you very much. <laughs> and so I got in my car all the way here to prayer meeting. And um, it was amazing. It was an amazing time that, that I had here and, and praying. And I just wanted to, um, because uh, the Lord had shown me a picture uh, of this beautiful house of God. And um, I had shared that with, with Pastor Shannon. But I'm, I'm that guy who won't share anything that I believe that God has given me unless I have confirmation. Uh, because that's just, just how it is for me. I don't like to just get up and say, oh, this and that and the other. Anyway, the Lord showed me a picture about this, this house and that... There were rivers, waters, rivers pouring out from every window, every doorway, out of this place and out that way. And that the people whom I saw that were stepping into the water, I don't know about you, but you know when you've gone to um, the river and you get those ones who think, oh man, it's going to be cold, and so they test the water. These people weren't. They literally were walking almost hurriedly towards the river. And the colour of the river, I'd never seen those colours in my life. I can't even explain what, it, what they look like. No, I can't. I can't even, I can't even describe what those colours were. But anyway, I, I shared that with, with Pastor Shannon, and then I went home and I said, wow, Lord, that was just too much. 
Um, but he gave me the scripture here, and it's from the book Haggai. I never read Haggai. I didn't even know Haggai existed. <laughs> How rude is that, eh? Um, when, when the Lord first said to me, Haggai, I went, huh? <laughs> anyway, so in the book of Haggai, in verse 6, uh, chapter 1, he, the Lord says, this is what the, the Lord Almighty says, in a little while... I will want, oh sorry, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place... I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And I just thought, wow, I'm going to be part of it. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. Bless you all. Bless you. Bless you. I'd like to invite the music team to come back. Can we just give a hand again to everybody who's shared today, to everybody who's been brave, everybody who's opened up? You know, I want to encourage each and every one of you. We could pass a microphone around and share many, many more stories like this. Uh, and, and maybe, we, you know, we keep doing this. And if you've got testimonies, there's something that happens in our faith and in our spirit when they're shared. The way that you feel encouraged today is how someone else will feel when you tell your story. Uh, I want to honor everyone who shared this morning to say, don't compare your story to anybody else. Don't compare your story with who else shared today or how else, you know, everyone shares. And the, the beauty of God is we get to come as we are, where we are. And, and the, I was saying to someone just this week, I forget the name of the woman who quotes it, but she says, you are allowed to be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. And so we're going to take communion. I'm aware that time has sort of gotten away on us. Uh, if you do need to go, I understand that. Here's what I think we do. Uh, the worship team are going to play, because what I feel like, there's faith in this room, and I feel it would be good to pray. Uh, so we'll do a fire tunnel, because <laughs> we're, we're short on time, and we don't have time to get everyone up and that sort of thing. But what we'll do is if you need to go, absolutely, that's great. There's tea and coffee in the other building, uh, your children are in the other building as well. Um, yes, someone can confirm that for me. Yes, children are in the other building as well. Um, but we're going to take communion together as the worship team um, sing. And then if you would like prayer, once we've taken communion, uh, we'll have a row of people either side here. I'll pull some out of the crowd, and we'll just, we'll just love to lay hands on you and pray. And remember what, what Kieran said, that if you come with faith and you come and you overcome your pride, um, then, hello. Yeah, go for it. You should be good, I think. I mean, oh, no, I did turn it off. Go me. You're good now. To, um, oh, that's loud. Okay, I just wanted to quickly update you on how ground is doing. Um, we went to Christchurch to sort out the radiation treatment for him and we got down there and straight away the doctor said, right, you're going, um, you're not well enough to actually be discussing the treatment plan, so you, we're gonna, I'm going to meet you into Christchurch Public Hospital. We've gone down there privately just to try and start things happening sooner. And so he got admitted to the oncology ward and we just want to thank you for the prayers because it's been amazing. Everything is, is going so smoothly. He's had his first lot of radiation treatment. He's had his first lot of chemo um, and he is taking chemo tablets and we've got another... We, like, we got back on Friday from Christchurch and as soon as we got in the door, we had a phone call from the hospital here to say, this is what's happening with your appointment here. So the, the flow on for the treatment has been... You know, like it's only been three weeks since we found out that he had the cancer. Um, so 
I don't know how much you guys know, but he's got a bowel cancer and also in his liver. So the reason they needed to start the chemo was because the liver had actually, um, the changes in two weeks had got worse. So every time, it just blows me away, he's, he's praying hard out every time, he has two rest periods in a day, and he lies there and he puts on his music and he's listening to the King and Country, which Jacob's put us on to, he's listening to that and he's absorbing it and he's praying that the chemo's working and the radiation's working every time. And we're just praying that um, when he goes back for his next scan, that that's going to be gone, you know. Um, and like, because the changes that happened in his liver, the other thing that, like we've been waiting, we get all these sheets of paper with um, the side effects of the chemo and all that kind of stuff, and we're reading it and we're waiting. And you know, like you're almost waiting for the other shoe to drop because it's too good to be true. I'm looking at it and I'm going, are you feeling sick? Nah. Wow. <laughs> are, you, wow. are you experiencing any, like I've got my kind of nurse aid hat on, I'm going, are you experiencing any of these things? And he's like, nah. <laughs> so wow. we're just, you know, there's little, been little symptoms, but um, the fact that he's not having those side effects and that like, we just trust in God is actually using that and working through him. And um, he's closer to God than he's ever been. And, you know, that blows me away. Wow. Amen. Amen. Got God is good. We're going to continue to distribute communion. Let me pray as we do, and you're free to take uh, in your own time. And... Uh, Jesus said that we do this in remembrance of him. We, he broke, he said, this bread is my body broken for you and this blood, this wine is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so as we take communion, we are reminded of the one that we've been singing about, the one who is at the center of all these miracles and uh, the one who still heals today. And if you need healing today and if you need to experience the transformational power of God, he is here. So Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the stories of transformation we've heard this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified more and more and more in this house and in this community and in this nation. Lord, let these stories and many more like them be the catalyst for new stories. Lord, for new salvations, for new healings. Lord, for revival in this place. Lord, that you would be glorified above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're free to sit and worship, stand and worship, take communion. I'll